The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let us pray. We respond, therefore, to thy call, O Lord our God, and draw near to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, thy Son, and by the aid of the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, we thank thee for thy promise, assuring us that thou wilt draw near to us. We look up to thee, thank thee for thy presence, desire thy blessing, acknowledge our need, confess our sin, and express that all our hope and trust is in thy grace and the fullness of Jesus Christ, and in him, the only mediator between thee and men. Him alone be pleased to extend his saving sway to the ends of the earth, and grant that thy blessing might abide upon this seminary and all who have gone out to serve thee, north, south, east, and west. Gather people from darkness to light, death to life, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated, please. You will find a portion of scripture for our Bible reading in the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, and verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, but yet there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men which were invited shall taste my banquet. So far the reading of the word of God. There are obvious connections, aren't there, uh, between that parable and others not too different from it 
and the opening words of the chapter that we are spending a little time with during these weeks. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? In this chapter, as we've seen, the prophet Isaiah is anticipating and predicting the mission of the Christian church to the world. He has spoken of the atoning sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, and his consequent exaltation and the assurance that all for whom he died will be gathered to him from various nations. And now he describes what their mission is to the world in his name. And he begins by speaking of the message that they have to declare. There is no hope of the church's sacred assignment being fulfilled by her, except if she holds fast to the gospel and proclaims it far and near. What do these opening verses say about this message? Well, in a word or two, or a comment on a picture, they contain an invitation to a feast. An invitation to a feast. It seems that Isaiah has, to some extent anyway, in the back of his mind, the picture of a water cellar in the market. And the opening line could be translated in the singular water rather than the plural waters. But the plural is better because it isn't just water that is being referred to here. Wine and milk are mentioned as well. And even food because the verb buy means to buy grain and grain is for bread and bread is specifically referred to a little later. Earlier in his prophecy, Isaiah has spoken about a feast that the Lord is going to make on Mount Zion. There the menu is of rich things full of marrow, wines on the lees well refined. Here we have water, water that revives life as cold waters to a thirsty soul, Solomon writes, so is good news from a far country. And almost everyone here carries water with him or her. Dehydration is death. And then there is wine. And the same writer tells us that wine gladdens the heart of man. It is part of a social occasion. It encourages conversation. Conviviality is inevitably associated with it. And then there's milk. And milk is associated with honey and butter in the Old Testament. Here is, is rich, rich, fair indeed. And finally, bread. Leviticus calls it the staff of life. Food for a pilgrimage. And so all these items are heaped together 
in order to emphasize what a rich, varied, necessary, beneficial, enjoyable feast there is. Plenty and variety stressed, and it's for the whole person. It's food for the soul. And it's all, of course, in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else, in no one else, peace and love and joy and strength are found in him and in him alone. And here is life, life for the mind, life for the conscience, life for the affections, life for the will, life for the soul. There's no junk food here. This will make a man of you and a woman too. This is real food. It lasts. It isn't fading and perishing. Here is that water that springs up to life eternal. So there, as we say, is clearly the indicative, isn't there? Isn't it? There is a feast. It exists. It's provided. It's real. It's not fictional. It isn't make-believe. It's real. But now, what follows the indicative? Usually, it's the imperative, isn't it? That's what we often recall when we think of preaching. But here the imperative is rather striking because it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Come, not once, five times. Come, the prophet says. Now I'm going to use the word, a word that I've never used before. All right, it exists not only in the Oxford English Dictionary, it's there in Webster's as well. Impetrative. Never used it before. Never thought of using it. I use it here because... Is it not the case that when we think of imperative, we think of command and not appeal? And that is what impetrative means. The Latin, impetrare, to make an earnest appeal. A real invitation which we issue, which we press upon people. That's what this prophet is doing. He's issuing an invitation. He's saying to any and to all, yes, there is a feast. Now here is an invitation for you. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you need, come. And he's doing so, of course, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here is an anticipation of one who said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, or I will be your rest. How good are we, how good are we at pleading with people? Do people get the, imp the impression from us not only that there is a feast, but that God wants them there. 
and that you want them there. That's our task. That's our remit. We can be too polite, you know. And perhaps even the English Standard Version is too polite. And the New International Version as well. King James is better. Ho! That's in the Hebrew. That's the way this chapter begins. Why? Do we want to gain a hearing? Do we want to make sure that people hear what we have to say? The word, the Hebrew word, could mean war. But plainly in this context, it, it can't. It just can't mean that. Because this isn't a call to a funeral. It isn't even a call to a fast. It's a call to a feast. Good life, life eternal, heavenly, everlasting, which isn't to be found anywhere else. The gospel is good news. The church has a message which a needy, thirsty, hungry world needs to hear and which that world will never hear from any other means but the church and the people of God. The Apostle Paul stressed this, didn't he, when he was speaking of ministering the new covenant. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. The ambassador represents ascending government, doesn't speak his own thoughts. He makes known what he has been told to say. And here, in particular, Christian preachers, but also those who believe the gospel, who are to bear witness to Jesus Christ, in some sense or other, we are sent by his witnesses. We are sent by him. And he gives us the message that we are to declare. Paul says, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. Seeing that God beseeches, beseeches you by us, we implore you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. This is being biblical, not being Arminian. Speak like this and you need never fear being correctly called an Arminian. You might be called an Arminian, but that doesn't matter. You're not. All you're doing is making known the gospel to any, to all, as God would have it be made known. Whenever I think of what I used to call the free offer of the gospel, but well-meant offer, is a much better designation, isn't it? Because the one in whose name we are speaking it isn't making mock. He isn't pretending. He isn't trying to give the impression that there's a place for you, but he doesn't want you there. It's the exact opposite. 
go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. What kind of God do people think we are representing? Someone who is interested in them in spite of all their weakness, frailty, iniquity, need, emptiness, war, danger, distress? If they don't think that the true and living God is like that, we are misrepresenting him. We are putting Satan's face on him. He's the murderer. God is the life giver. Whenever I think of this sort of thing, I inevitably see a friend of mine, he's now with the Lord and therefore he knows better. Standing on a street corner in a town near my home, handing out tracts. And he'd stand there with a tract about an inch in front of his face. And if someone went up to him and took it, they could have it. But somehow he couldn't do that. He couldn't reach out. And God stretches out his hands all day long to a rebellious and gainsaying people. And Jesus weeps. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets, stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Any, every, nation, generation, doesn't matter. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our mandate. That's our aim. That's why we are to issue this invitation and leave the outworking of foreordination and election to God. They'll come. He'll bring them. And he'll call them through your voice and mine. By his word. So, when you think imperative, don't just think of command. Think of invitation too. And don't wait for people to say they'll come before you give them an invitation. And don't say to yourself, it's no good issuing an invitation. I know they won't come. How do you know they won't come? How dare we think they won't come? We've no justification for doing that. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we can say to them, there is a feast. You are, as you are now, you are invited to come. 
come to Jesus Christ to buy without money, to drink while you're still thirsty, he will receive you. And he'll give you something to wear as well. But remember, it isn't a party. It's a state banquet. The one who invites is the most high and holy God of all the earth. So be sure to issue the invitation and to keep on doing so. And to keep on doing so in the face of refusal. Because not only is there the impetrative, I won't use this word again ever, but not only is there the impetrative, it's difficult even to pronounce, invitation is much better, but I want you to connect imperative with this impetrative dimension of appeal and earnest appeal. But in addition to that, there's an interrogative. Why? And the prophet issues it. Why are you spending money for what is not bread? And your labor for what does not satisfy? Why live on scraps and husks in the far country when there's plenty in the father's house? Why refuse? It's madness to refuse. But sin is madness. That's what it is. It's what is to our harm and hurt eternally, and we love it. So issue this challenge. Why? There's only one thing, you see, which keeps people from coming to the gospel feast. It's that they won't come. It's that they refuse. It's that they judge themselves to be unworthy of eternal life. They're wise. They think they're better. Their need is not great. So they will not come as hungry, thirsty, poor, and helpless. And cast themselves at the feet of Jesus Christ for life eternal. Now be sure to wish you this invitation. And one other thing. Be sure to come yourself. Let us pray. Our God, we give thee thanks for the freeness and the fullness of thy great mercy and kindness in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that all round the earth, no one who hears thy word might be in any doubt as to whether he or she would be warmly welcomed as they are if they came to thee in Jesus' name. We thank thee that thou hast received us, and each time we come, Confessing our sins and trusting afresh in Jesus, thou dost receive us again 
and save to the uttermost all who keep coming unto thee through him. Enable us then to keep proclaiming that warrant, promise, call to any to all to come, knowing that whoever comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.